I, I used to work, as Jerry said, I used to work for St. Melitis College, actually for about 10 years. Jerry said eight, but about 10 years. And um, I love teaching theology, but I thought, you know, it's kind of wasted. Who here has been to St. Melitis College? Has anybody here been there? And you see, there's a few um, people in the ordination. I know Johnny was. Some people are in it in for, for training for leadership. And I thought, I love, I love theology, but it's wasted on vicars. <laughs> it's wasted on Jerry. Um, we need to get it out into access to other people and to people who are bankers and nurses and mothers and students. Do you know what I mean? Like theology, the local church, we invented theology and now we've outsourced it to a university and we've said that it's a thing you do to get a Christian job. No, no, no. It belongs with us. So this is what I do is I come and I pitch a tent, a metaphorical tent, but now there's a real one. Um, We pitch a tent for a time and we just live with the people. So I was here last year. I loved it. Absolutely loved being here. Really kick-started a lot of what I like to do about tent. And this today, when Jerry asked me to come back for the weekend, he said, we want to look at the Holy Spirit, life within the Holy Spirit, or life with the Holy Spirit. And um, one of the things that I really wanted to do, and, and, and is not one of my visions for teaching theology is that it's not just white guys with beards talking about theology. So I am a white guy with a beard, and I have a lot of time for white guys with beards, because I am one. But, you know, I really want to try and open up the space for different types of voices, different types of people, and, um, and raise up other voices and other people. So I had my radar on to find other theologians, and this year I found some, and they are with me today, which is fantastic. So we're going to have, so Florence Taylor is a theologian who works with, um, well, she'll tell you her story uh, she works in East London with mar- women. Um, she works with people with addictions and people on sort of margins of society. We have Ollie, who is a, a, a worship pastor. He works for uh, St. Peter's Bethnal Green and also for in Peckham, Christchurch, Peckham. Um, and he's a theologian, and he's also doing the stuff. And they have joined me this year as they are fellows with me in tent theology. So I've, I'm going to get them to tell some of their story, and we're going to. I'm going to. What's going to happen is each session is going to be based on a certain area of life within the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be me teaching a bit, but it's also going to be a conversation. You're going to witness a conversation between two theologians in front of everyone, and there's a lot of space for you to ask your question. And also, we have Claire and Luke, who who are leading us in, in worship this morning. Um, they are going to be, I'm going to be getting them to tell their story um, for the worship session, and again, it's going to be time, and, and their story is one of um, they're not theologians, but their story is one of earning. They've earned the right to say God is good. And so we're going to hear their story. And um, yeah, so it's really good. So we're going to have a, a, a great morning. But I want you to know it's way more than just lecturing. We've deliberately opened up space. The very last session of the day is, is unplanned. Not unplanned, but it's not locked down. Because we want to have time for more questions. We want to have time for actually doing the stuff, praying for each other, responding. So, and just so you know, there's going to be lots of time for that. And one of my visions, for, especially for this day, is those of us who have been in charismatic environments before, and I'm sure there's people in this room. I'm sure not everybody in this room is for the first time encountering Holy Spirit talk. Don't 
I'm speaking to those of us in the room that have been around the charismatic world for a while. Don't we know that there are some things you're sort of not allowed to ask? There often are questions that you're not really allowed to bring up because then you're, oh, you can't say that because that will lower the faith in the room or, uh, you know, we're here to do something, you know. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want us to have space to do that today. We can ask those questions today. We can talk about it. We're here in an environment and we love Jesus. We love him. You know, the Holy Spirit is real. He's, he lives in us. He works today. We're not doubting him, but we are normal human beings with normal questions. And we're allowed to talk about it. And we invented theology. It's not scary. We can do it. We can have it here. So we're going to do that today as well, right? So there's, like, there's no dumb questions and there's no hard questions. And you're not going to lower the faith in the room or anything like that. We're going to talk about it. And you're going to, theology isn't answers. It's more like, it's not always just giving the clever answer to the tough question. It's more, it's more saying, well, here is how Christians or Christ followers have been thinking about this for the last 2,000 years. Maybe their inherited wisdom can help us think about it today. And here's different ways people have thought about it. And here's, here's what the Bible seems to be saying about these things. And here's how it thinks, works today. That's what we're doing today. We're opening up space to have a fearless conversation about wonderful things. Okay? So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about anointing. And then we're going to have Florence going to come up and she's going to tell us a, her story a little bit about this. And so to talk about anointing, I don't want to talk forever and ever and ever, but I, I, I sort of want to set up, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. I'm going to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God, what that might be, and that's going to lead into actually talking about what anointing might be and what, we, what we're doing when we do it, what we think we're doing when we talk about, I think we even use this today, there's some anointing, you know. Claire and Luke, there's, there's anointing on your worship. What does that mean when the crazy charismatics say that? What are we doing, you know? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so have I explained the theme of the day? Is that all right? Okay, enough housekeeping. You don't need housekeeping anymore. So life with the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not the force. Okay. The Holy Spirit is not a battery. The Holy Spirit is not energy. It's not an it. Okay? Um, when we're Christians, when we're Christians, we're, we're, we're Trinitarian. And the Trinity simply means... How do I put this? It means... Yeah, right? Ha ha, exactly. How do I put it? Okay, I'll tell you one way to put it. Stop talking about God. Christians, stop talking about God all the time. You're not Godians. You're Christians. Okay? God is, in some ways, an empty... I've talked about this last year. God is, in some ways, an, an empty word. You can put a lot into that word. It's a blank slate. Right? And if you walk down the street and you ask people, do you believe in God, or what do you think God is, you'll get... For every person you ask, you'll get a different answer. And you'll meet people who say, oh, I believe in God. And then they'll tell you something that looks like the force. Or looks like Allah. Or looks like the still small voice that lives in your heart. And be true to yourself. That's God, right? So when we're Christians, we don't just say, oh, thank you. Oh, I'm glad you believe in God. So do I. And then go on our merry way. 
were like the Apostle Paul who went into the, into the uh, Athens and he said, I see you have all these gods, but you have one statue that you don't know the name of. Let me tell you the name of that God, right? And who does he talk about? Jesus. And if we're Christians, what we really think, listen, this isn't apologetics. I can't, I can't argue this. I'm not trying to demonstrate. Like I said before, if Richard Dawkins was here, he'd beat me in an argument, okay? I'm not trying to argue something. I'm just telling you, if you're a Christian, you think Jesus Christ is God. You think that God isn't, we don't worship God in heaven who had Jesus as a mouthpiece, who then somehow transmitted his Holy Spirit energy to us. When we say God, we're saying there is no such thing as God. There's the Father, who's the Father of the Son, who is the exact representation of the Father, and the Spirit is the Spirit of that. Spirit is Jesus' Spirit. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity. That the Father, you know, the earliest Christian said in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And Jesus said, when I speak, I'm only speaking what the Father speaks. And we have the stories of the, of the uh, you know, where Jesus is baptized and then the voice from heaven says, this is my son. Or you have the story of the transfiguration where Jesus is up on the mountain and he's glowing white. And, and uh, the voice says, listen to him. And Moses and Elijah fade away. Um, early Christians are starting to figure out the gospels in some ways. The New Testament is in some ways, you start to see these early Jewish Christians starting to work out what it might mean to think that this man is God. This man is the Father. The Father looks like Jesus. And then Jesus says, I give you my spirit. And my spirit will remind you of things I've said, and you will do even greater things than me. And, uh, you know, my spirit. My personality is with you. And we say Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that means the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And that means he, his spirit is with us. His, his personality, okay? So the main thing to point out is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person that sounds and looks like Jesus. The Holy Spirit, he's sovereign which means that he's not magic. Which means that we can't control and harness the powers and focus them. We can't say the clever words and then get the Holy Spirit to do what we command. Okay? He's a person who who decides things and asks us to do things and tells us not to do things and encourages and empowers us. And acts in ways that are sometimes mysterious. But he acts in ways that are mysterious in Jesus-shaped ways. You need to sort of think that we can, over, we can overemphasize the mystery of, of God or the mystery of the Holy Spirit. You know, in some ways, God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, okay, that is true, but... Let's not overemphasize that. If you're a Christian, we know what God sounds like. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. Go listen to the way that Jesus relates to women and children and rich people and poor people and enemies and 
the loved ones. And right? We know what God sounds like. And we know what he looks like. Because Jesus is, uh, I sometimes describe him as um, ninja Jesus. There's so many times in the New Testament where Jesus, you know, people come to him with a question and he dodges it. And he asks them something different. Or people try and control him. Like they say, we know who you are. You are Jesus. Your parents are Joseph and Mary and you're from Nazareth. We know you and your destiny. And he dodges it. And he says, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Or people will come to him with a, with a question or a demand or a request. And he'll, he'll give them something they weren't expecting, but they actually needed instead. Right? Um, or he'll, people will say, come on, Jesus, we're all going to Jerusalem. Come, now's the time to show your power. And he'll say, oh, you go ahead. I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. And then after they've gone, he sneaks in by a different way. He's sneaky. He's ninja. He's mysterious, but he's not. He's mysterious in the way that a, a person is mysterious, not in the way that the force is mysterious. He's mysterious in the way that he has a, a will, and he decides when he's going to act and how he's going to act. And he's mysterious because he doesn't always do exactly as we demand, and yet he does offer to work with us. And we don't know why. Why would you bother working with us? But he does it anyway. Is this making sense? The other thing about Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit as Jesus' personality is one of, the, one of the main things about Jesus is you can say no. Hmm. There's some anointing on me right now about that. We'll talk about anointing. You can say no to Jesus. Okay? How many Godians out there are addicted to the idea that God is command and control? Jesus says, no, God is not command and control. You can say no to me all the time. You can kill me. Okay? More people who met Jesus were offended by him than believed in him in the New Testament. And if, if Jesus is in any way God, then God is someone you can say no to. And he speaks in a quiet way or he speaks in such ways that even his commands, you can, you can say no. That tells us something about who the Father is, okay? Which leads me to talking about what's happening with the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is... In the New Testament, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven all the time. And in, well, the kingdom of God is here. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, he says the kingdom of heaven. Because Matthew probably doesn't want to use the name of God. So out of, out of respect, he uses heaven instead. Which is good because, it's fine, because you have to remember that the kingdom of heaven is not heaven. It's not a place you go to when you die and sit on a cloud and strum a harp or whatever. When the New Testament talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's not talking about a place you go to when you die. It's talking about your will be done on earth as in heaven. Right? It's talking about that heaven is the, is the language the New Testament uses to describe when God's reign is unopposed. Okay? When God's rule is unopposed. Okay, that's heaven. So when Jesus says, repent, 
the kingdom of heaven is near. He's not saying turn or burn. He's saying turn your life and come and join. You're living in the temporary rule of man. Come and live in the eternal rule of God. You're living in a place where you say no to God. Turn your life, change your life and come and live and say yes. Another way of thinking about if, if, if heaven is where the word you describe to describe when God's reign is unopposed, another way of saying that is when people say yes to God. You can say no, and you live in the rule of man. Or you can say yes, and you live in... And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is amongst you. It's now, it's here. Okay? And of course, it's not completely, we don't see it in all its fullness, but you know, it's... People can say, you can live in environments where you're saying yes to God. And there's something of heaven in that. So the anointing, how do I, oh no, let me talk a little bit more about, um, before I talk specifically about anointing, is this environment of saying yes to God. So a lot of people, now listen, I've, we've got some, you're going to hear people talk about Bethel a lot, Claire and Luke. They're British, but they lived in Bethel for a while. I'm Canadian. My wife is British, but we lived in Bethel for a year. That's where I met Florence. Now, listen, we're not Bethel heads. Just want you to know, we're not trying to convert. I'm not. Come and talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you a million reasons why I'm not a Bethel head. I'm not here to convert everyone into one culture. But there is something in that environment. And people often think, oh, there's something magic about that place. It, they, they might not use that word, but they kind of, they're superstitious. Us Christians, we're a superstitious and cowardly lot. And we follow after magic all the time. And we, we think, oh, there's something in that place. We're going to go to that place. But you know what it is? It's that there's people in the environment who are saying yes to God. That's what it is. And it doesn't happen just in one magic place. It happens wherever there's an environment of, of people taking risks. And we, and we talked about this at the home group. Lucy's here. Who else was in the home group last night that I was with? Yeah, right? Um, you know, it happens here. There was a story that came out yesterday. I was, I was in uh, Dan Bates's, Dan and Sarah Bates's home group. And, you know, there was a story of happening in this church where busy mom was walking down the street with her three kids, four kids, and... Uh, and a stranger, a young man, came up to her and said, excuse me, can I talk to you? And she's like, oh, boy, this is the last thing I need. The kid's running everywhere. And she stops and says, okay, yeah, what do you, what do you need? And this young man said, I'm a Christian, and I feel like I've been led to pray for you. So then now our friend stopped. And she said, okay, I'll receive that prayer. And the young man had a word of knowledge, or he prayed for this woman's husband who wasn't there. Remember, strangers on the street. And the word was, the, the exact time, the word was about a job. It was like about, it was basically, um, don't worry. You know, I can't remember the exact word, but it had to do with like, don't fear about your employment. The, and then when they got home, they compared notes. And this woman said, I was prayed for on the street. And the exact same time was the time that the husband had just got an email rejecting, uh, for turning him down for a job that he'd applied for and thought that he was going to get. And so the result was, rather than a lack of faith, was a rise in faith. Because it was like the Lord saying, don't worry, I, I see you. 
I'm going to use a complete stranger. And then there's even more to that story. It turns out the stranger was actually the son of another woman in this church. They, nobody knew each other, and then they all connected. Don't worry, I see you. You didn't get the job you thought you wanted, but that doesn't mean I've left you. That doesn't mean your story is done. That doesn't mean my way is not your way. That's all that means. And, um, but what I wanted to point out was that whole little miracle and little miraculous miracle and fun connections of human beings together and rise in faith and word of knowledge and encouragement wouldn't have happened if that young man had said no and if that young mother had said no. God takes your yeses and he, or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, takes your little yeses and he puts them together. Jesus takes your loaves and your fishes and he makes something. Now, Jesus could have snapped his fingers, right? We all know this. Everybody's bellies could have been full right away. But what he does is he works with, he takes the little bit that you offer and he multiplies it. And so when we talk about living in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, we're trying to talk about living in environments where we're all offering our little yeses. And he takes those yeses and puts them together and things start to happen. So this is what happens in these Holy Spirit environments. It's not the building that's magic or the land that's magic. It's that there's people in these environments who are taking a risk going, I know this sounds odd, but when I was praying for you, I just saw, you know, a picture of a duck wearing a top hat or something. And then I know that's really odd. And you take a risk and you you hold it out there. And then the person who's in that environment says, I'm not going to dismiss that lightly. I'm going to be open to receiving that. And you go, thank you very much. And you write it on your phone or you write it down. And then the next day, a complete stranger walks up to you and says, I know this is weird, but I just saw a duck and it was wearing a top hat. And, And you're like, oh, that's the second person that said that to me in two days. I've had experiences where three strangers said, you're going to receive a phone call from a number you don't recognize. And I did. And guess who it was? Graham Singh. (laughs) Graham Singh, who with Jerry, was one of the founders of this church. And Graham Singh invited me to his church in Montreal to do a tent. And I did. And then the rest is history. First one I ever did. It was Graham's name, idea to call it tent. So, but what I'm saying is like, these are people taking risks. Did you see, do you know what I'm saying? So that's anointing. When we talk about anointing, that's um, part of the culture of kingdom of God living. Anointing is a history, a historical, an ancient Christian practice, which goes deeper than Christianity. It comes from the Jewish practices of of king-making. Um and leader empowering. And it's part of the kingdom culture. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about anointing. Um, remember, it's, it's, taking your, it's, it's people taking, saying yes in an environment, and their yeses are being put together to create something bigger. Okay? So, I mean, some of the history of anointing, I don't want to go into it too much because we've got more important things to talk about. But, I mean, in the Old Testament, it comes from king-making. So Samuel will anoint um, Saul, and he'll anoint King David. And, and it's with oil, so it's called the chrism, where you, you pour oil on your head or you make a mark on your forehead. And the idea is that you've left a mark, a blessing on, 
on the one for whom is going to be raised up. The word Messiah just means the anointed one. All right. So we have anointing like deep in our, you can't talk about Jesus without talking about anointing. It means the one set aside to lead or to bring the people into favor or something like that. And that's anointing. Okay, so, the, so there's an Old Testament thing. And then, but it has that kind of kingly, kingship type of vibration to it. And then you have the early church. It has an apostolic. So the actual practice. So sometimes we talk about anointing. Now listen, the, the, basically you'll find lots of different ideas. I'm not telling you like the one way. I'm just trying to say there seems to be a common practice. It's a bit like baptism or the Lord's Supper, or the communion. Every Christian does it, but every Christian sometimes does it slightly differently. But I'm trying to get to the common threads here. And one of the common threads is that it, it goes back to the, to the apostles in the New Testament, who there's talk of laying on of hands. So what you'll get is you'll get in a bit like, it seems like they were learning from Samuel and the, and the Old Testament, who would would lay a hand on the appointed one and maybe mark them with oil or something like that. And the apostles took this on. And Jesus is seen um, quite often when he heals people, he, he touches involved. He lays his hand on, on people and, and sort of lets them be in physical proximity to him. So, so the apostles, the early church, seemed to be doing this as well. There was something of touching and passing on. And so then we, we, we use the language of, um, of laying on of hands to, to describe this activity. Now, there's a few important things about the laying on of hands. One is just don't overlook the physical nature of it. How important the physical proximity was to the early church. There's a number of reasons for this. I mean, um, one is simply <coughs> that you have to look the person in the eye there's something about looking the person in the eye it it's a it means that you're in a relationship it means that you're that there's a connection and in the early church history we call this apostolic succession which means that jesus chose some apostles to for whatever reason not because they were so great by the way almost the opposite he didn't choose them because they were so great. He chose them for various reasons, sometimes because they were so weak. But he, he invested in the apostles, the 12 eyewitnesses who were closest to him. He said, you know, essentially, go and do my stuff. I'm giving you, I'm anointing you to go and be my representatives, be my be my friends, he says. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And so the early church has this practice, and you see it happening in the Apostle Paul's letters, right? Because he didn't know Jesus personally. And he goes to a lot of effort. A lot of intellectual, theological, and moral effort is, is spent on Paul trying to convince people that he's also an apostle because he met Jesus on the road, you know, the shining light. And also because he learnt from Jesus' friends. And it becomes really important for the early church to show that your connection, your connection to the apostles is what 
grounds you in your connection to Jesus and your authority to teach as Jesus taught. Does this make sense? And the, the idea that you physically almost have to be in the room, you have to have them put their hands on you, you have to look them in the eye, is like really important for church structure and discipline, and right? It keeps things kind of personal. You know, which is why I would have a great problem if somebody said, I saw a TV preacher, I, saw, I watched a YouTube clip, and now I'm anointed. I would say, no, I think you're probably not. Or at least, I think you're not using the word that any New Testament person would understand by. They would say, are you in a relationship with this person? Have you met this person? Has this person physically crossed a space to, in order to stand next to you? <laughs> and to bestow his or her authority and approval onto you, right? So this is, a, a lot of the practice of anointing has to do with like, Somebody saying, I approve of this. A bit like a politician saying, I approve of this message or something. Um, so that's one practice. It's an apostolic. The other thing to point out is that the apostles don't, we don't think of the, the anointing itself as giving any authority. We don't think of the anointing itself as making it, making you a good Christian. There's this weird thing going on in, in church history that people can have gifts. They can be good at healing or good at teaching. And it can still be, I don't want to use a bad word. They can still be idiots. They can still be mean. The gifts are not the same as the fruits of the Spirit. Okay? The, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, hospitality, self-control. These are the marks of what gives you authority in your in your with your people. The gifts are there for the upbuilding and the encouragement. So if somebody says, I have the gift of healing and I'm going to lay hands, you know, and somebody gave me the gift, somebody bestowed on me the anointing for the gift of healing. We'll talk about this later. But, and I'm going to pray and, and whatever I received, I'm going to symbolically or maybe even literally pass on to you. But the gift of healing, the fact that, you know, I prayed for somebody and, or that somebody, you know, I don't know. The, the fact that Ollie can pray for Florence and her stomachache goes away doesn't make Ollie a good leader. It just means he's gifted in healing. What makes Ollie a good leader is that he's humble. Um, he's kind. He's patient. Do you see what I mean? So, so much, so often so many Christians can get attracted to the shiny gift. And you see this all the time. They're attracted to the shiny gift and they forget the fruits of the Spirit, which actually the New Testament says is way more important. If I can speak with the tongues of angels, but I don't have love, it's just clanging symbols, says Paul, right? I want you to speak with the tongues of angels. You should e you know, eagerly desire prophecy. I wish everyone could speak in tongues like I do. Like these things are to be sought after and, and they're part of the building up of the body, the gifts of the Spirit. But they're not themselves evidence of a Christ-informed life. Okay? So, the other thing that um, apostles seem to be doing, the, uh, the anointing seems to be doing, is when, when you're an apostle or when you're doing that kind of apostolic act. Now, different churches have different ways of defining what an apostle is. Some churches will do it, like the Anglicans will have a really strong, like the bishops 
are in the, they'll trace their line right back. They'll do a lot of effort to trace it back to Peter. This is what the Roman church and the Anglican church, they'll spend a lot of time saying, we, we can actually trace the line of bishops right back to Peter. And that's important to us. And then you get more of the kind of crazy charismatics and the independents. This church is kind of both at once, right? Who will be like, oh, the apostolic succession doesn't have to do with the history of tracing a, a, a connection. It has to do with um, a, a, a people who were in a Holy Spirit environment and the Holy Spirit was there and he... And now, and now I've, been, I've met Jesus through those people. Now I'm going to bring that, this to other groups. And we pass it on that way. But there's always some sort of, it might not be an official bishop's line, but there's always the apostolic anointing idea is always connected to like something I received, I'm passing on to you, right? There's still that relationship. There's still that connection, that chain of, relationships it's all it's very much part of it and part of what we talk about here is a binding and loosing so jesus when he said to peter i give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound um, in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and he's talking about giving his followers the uh, the ability to declare truth um, it's co-laboring. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to give you the standard. You, who you forgive will be forgiven. As you forgive, that's how they will be forgiven. Um, the idea is that we as Christ's followers actually get to, in some ways, represent on earth as in heaven. We get to say and agree where two or three are gathered, there I am with you, says Jesus. And he's talking about conflict resolution. It's talking about forgiveness. Go look it up. It's in Matthew 18. And the idea, this is part of the anointing idea, which is that when I, as a Christ follower, get to say, I, I, I'm empowering you, I commission you, I, we're going to lay hands on you, we're going to stand with you, we're going to send you out as an evangelist or as a teacher or as a mother, and we endorse you, in a way that's, us binding on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So this is where some of these ideas are all coming from. And then the last thing I want to say, just for a couple minutes, and then Florence is going to come up, is um, that uh, the anointing is that act of, of owning a gift and then passing it on to others or, or seeing it in others is prophetic. So there's a prophetic element here. And the, when, you, when we say we're being prophetic, we don't so much mean we're telling the future as you're speaking God's truth into a situation. So you're, you're saying, we're, we're not going to look with the world's eyes. We're going to look with the, the Father's eyes into this situation. And often that means, prophetically, you might be drawing out of a person something that they didn't, a latent gift they didn't know they had so you know if we're listening to the holy spirit we might say i see in you that you are you are one who's going to be equipped and powered to teach or to to heal or i see you know the gift of tongues is is latent in you it's ready to be released i'm going to see with the spirit's eye and i'm going to draw that out of you i'm going to prophetically going to announce by laying on of hands that you have that gift or something like that and there's a sort of a prophetic element in that we are drawing or sometimes you're even bringing into creation that which didn't exist the other 
side of prophecy is sometimes when you, by stating it, you start to make it true. You create the conditions for which it can start to happen. So somebody might, you know, I don't know, Ben back there. I just cut his eye because I like him and I know him. You know, I might go, oh, Ben. This isn't a prophecy, by the way. This is an example. Um, you know, I might say, oh, Ben, I just see in you a gift to be an architect. And Ben might, never even thought of being an architect before. I'm, I make coffee. I'm a coffee maker. And I'm like, no, no, the Holy Spirit said architect. And that might set in motion Ben starting to now, because he's not, he's taking, he's not taking prophecy lightly. He then might hold that a little bit. And, and then other anointed people might start to say, oh, I just see you as an architect. And it starts to put Ben into the position where he's saying yes to God. And he's like, all right, God. Those people said yes. They, in an apostolic, prophetic way, announced the word architect over me. So now I'm going to start going where that leads. And who knows, in 20 years' time, Ben might be an architect. The prophetic word has created something which wasn't there before. Right? So that's all part of what we talk about when we're talking about anointing. It's creative. It's empowering. It's historical. It's co-laboring with the Holy Spirit who is Jesus' personality. And it's part of creating the culture of saying yes to God so that your little yes gets taken up with that little yes and another little yes and together we are start to live um, on earth as in heaven. Lawrence, do you have a story? Super. Yeah, does this work as well? Thanks. So, Hi. why don't you just tell them about who you are? And they've heard my voice enough; they don't need to hear me. Um, yeah, my name's Flo Taylor, and I live in Bethnal Green, so in East London, and have for the last five years almost been involved with a church community called the Arch or Arch Seventy Six. We're like a little community of women, a lot of whom have come out of domestic violence or sex work or addictions in various ways. Um, yeah, so I've been involved there for the last five years. I also study theology. So I, my first degree was in theology at Oxford. I took a few years break. And then actually coming out of the story I'm about to share, applied to and I'm about to finish a master's looking at theology, spirituality, and health, looking around addiction. Um, and I've got an offer for a PhD to look at that a bit further. So that's sort of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what is your anointing story? Because when I, I put the call out, and you said, I've got an anointing story. so I did rather eagerly, and then was like, oh, ah, panic. Um, <laughs> um, but I do have one. I think the word anointing makes me a bit nervous. I think it's quite a grand term. Okay. Um, but I think part of the story was is about owning that word and not shying away from it as well. Um, so, so I said I've been involved in the arch for five years. Three years ago now, I was asked to lead it. Um, it was set up by two women called Wendy Roll and Laura Bagley, and Wendy had spent some time out with Jackie Pullinger in Hong Kong, if anyone's heard um, of that ministry, um, and she'd been very called out um, of that into Bethnal Green specifically, and had spent some time there in Bethnal Green, got to know a load of women, and started the arch, and I had got involved when I was 22, and been very much led under her and Laura's anointing and leadership and loved it. And when you're speaking about a culture of people saying yes to Jesus, I was just so fortunate that in my early 20s, I was around a bunch of women 
who had said yes and was in a culture like in the shadows of the city um, of uh, just the kingdom of heaven there and not in like a glamorous exciting way although sometimes it was sometimes in quite like a tiring everyday making coffee cleaning loos being shouted at sort of way but in but it was sweet and anyway Wendy following God's lead felt it was time to step back from that because she was fostering and at one point was like I'm going to be able to foster and lead the arch at the same time and that's not humanly possible so she stepped back and asked me whether I would step into that space and I was like yeah absolutely that sounds so exciting um and then a couple of weeks later I was like oh yeah right this <laughs> sounded exciting and now I'm gonna have to live this out and mm. I've been under this covering of leadership and suddenly I'm stepping out and it's like with the geese when you know you've got the bird at the first at mm-hmm. the front and they take the flag yeah. and everyone's happily swimming behind not swimming flying behind <laughs> um, and suddenly I realized that leading this was going to be quite hard um, that's a long introduction to say that I then I've got a friend called I've got a couple of friends who've been out in Bethel and who've done the school out there and I've always sort of wanted to go but it was around the same time where I was also feeling a little starting to feel a little little bit cynical around Bethel stuff because I was like it looks very shiny and their music's very nice and they seem to have lots of miracles but where's the service of the poor and where's the and I became pretty critical but I didn't want to become like that because I also wanted what they had and so me and my friend Beth ended up through a miraculous little story which I won't go into now having the money to be able to fly out there for 10 days and go to Randy Clark's healing conference um and so we did we went and it this was I just said yes to go to leading the arch but hadn't started and had basically realized that I'd been appointed this but didn't necessarily feel empowered by God to do it and so I was going seeking Mm. his I wouldn't have used the word anointing necessarily, but wanting his power, recognizing that without it, I wasn't able to do what I'd said yes to doing. Um, and so we went, and it was, I think it was the first night of the conference. And I'd been around Charismatic World most of my life, and I'm used to people, not all the time, but like people falling over or speaking in tongues and all of that. But I'd sort of dried up a little bit in being expectant for that for myself um and it was one of those altar calls in a we were in a huge conference there were like 300 people there and again it was not an environment that I was necessarily comfortable with at the time but wanted to be and they had an altar call and I just felt my hands like I just had pins and needles in my hands and I was like oh gosh okay (laughs) um and then I was like no I'm just going to carry on sitting here and then was like no I can't ignore this God and so went up to the front and had I think it was Randy Clark ended up I can't remember who it was that prayed for me but someone just laying hands and I can't remember what they said but I just had this very physical sensation of God of the Holy Spirit filling me and the words I'm anointing you with healing hands with healing feet and with a healing voice and that was the start of then sort of a week of being in Bethel that was I would start I would say it was like the fire lit and then it carried on to burning through that week and then out forwards um and I was looking through my journal around that time when I was 
thinking about what I was going to say this morning. Um, and in that time, people started speaking to me about you're going to be, um, you're, you're called to lead in around women with addictions. These people hadn't met me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to find creative ways for women who have been stuck in addictions and need to get out. You're going to use your voice to speak into these situations. You're, there were just numbers and numbers of mm. prophetic words. It was also the same week that I met Claire and Stephen. Um, and it was just, I, I feel as if it was a moment in time where God touched me particularly and said, I'm empowering you to what you've been called. I knew I was called to lead the arch, but I'm going to anoint you with, your ho with my Holy Spirit in order so that you can to empower you to mm -hmm. do that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, as a theologian, how do you make sense of use the pins and needles? The, manif the, the lingo would be the manifesting. Mm. Sometimes the anointing happens and people experience physical reaction. What's happening there? Um, I think as a Western person, um, but theologian, we can become so dualistic in our thinking okay. and we can imagine the spiritual and the physical to be two distinct things. And actually we're then buying into this sort of platonic dualism of like physical bad, spiritual good. And our God, like you said it, Jesus, we, we don't worship God, we worship Jesus who was embodied mm -hmm. and our faith is embodied mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit is a person, mm. not an it. And yeah. so I think just as we experience people, sometimes physically, sometimes in conversation in various forms, yeah. I think that makes sense to me logically that we would experience God in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you reflected on your, if you have the gift of healing, we haven't set this up ahead of time, by the way. She doesn't know what I'm about to ask. Um, you know, that I'm giving you a voice, feet, and hands to heal. You know, as a practicing theologian, have you, do you, have you ever passed that on to other people? What would you say if somebody came up to you saying, oh, I want what you've got? What would you say to them? Um, I suppose, yes. Um, I'm it, within community has been my main experience of that. So at the Arch, we're, there's probably about 30 of us that meet regularly. Um, and I think when I came back from Bethel, I like let, we do Bible studies and worship every time that we meet. And some of the women do that. And we're constantly passing on any gift that we've been given. Mm. We're like, I experienced this. You can experience this too. Um, and they'll be doing it vice versa. So I suppose, so yes. Um, and how have I done that I suppose again working with women who a lot of the times have been told that they're not empowered and they're not yeah. clever and they're not good enough yeah we try to do it in ways that don't suggest I've got all the power I'm going to give you this power right but do say you know the God that you know and that I know he gave me this thing mm -hmm. do you, what he wants to give it to you too mm -hmm. um, and so it's always quite low-key yeah. and, and we have seen some physical healings. We've seen lots of very slow and quick emotional healing yeah. from that. Yeah. I am aware that it's 11.02 and it's time for a coffee break. Um, 
Well, as I said, listen, that's, it's totally on me. I talk too long. Um, Flo's around all day. It'd be good to just chat with her as well and hear more of her story. I, seriously, I, I feel like with each of my guests, we could just have a whole day with just each of them. But So do, do grab Flo. And also at the, the last session of the day, we're going to have time to talk about stuff. So write your questions down about anointing and manifestations and all that. But let's have coffee, and um, we'll definitely keep with this thread. And after the coffee break, we're going to talk with um, Claire and Luke about worship. But thank you so much, Flo. I really love that you took.